and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where this week, if you follow anything to do with the automotive world, honestly, the news really isn't about Formula One. No, it's not about Formula One this, this it, week. It is, however, about a blazing trail of stupidity. Out-of-control tempers. Okay. Well, let's face it. The situation with Jeremy Clarkson and Top Gear. When we are big Top Gear fans. And while we are very sad about what is probably going to happen to the show, after reading the report, or, or the summary findings that were presented to the BBC, I gotta say... I don't think they had a choice. Well, no. I mean, the reality is they didn't have a choice. If they had come up with some alternative punishment, they would have opened themselves up to a lot of other lawsuits. And the reality is nobody should feel like they could get punched while at work. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have been tossing around that uh, he was fired, that Jeremy Clarkson was fired or he was sacked. The reality is he was neither. The reality is what happened was his contract was set to expire anyway, and the BBC decided not to renew said contract. So, yeah, they didn't really fire him. They just didn't they ask him to him come back. Away. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure that that will bode well on his CV when he goes to apply for a job at McDonald's. Oh, I don't think he's going to be applying for jobs at McDonald's. You know, the the two leading rumors are that he's either going to pop up on uh, Sky or he's going to pop up on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, he's going to do something else. The one I – the people I really feel sorry for other than, you know, I think May and uh, Richard have gotten caught up in this whole thing and are going to get tainted because of association. But it's the – it's the low-level employees of that show that I'm sure will get absorbed into other projects within the BBC. But they worked on it. They gave a lot to it. And for one man to destroy the Enterprise kind of just makes me sad. Yeah, th there's been a lot of theories as to what was going on and why and the level that it went to possibly not being just sheer anger but possibly an attempt at blaze of glory client kind of a thing and I, you know i don't know but i the the whole thing was a really bad situation all right so from one bad situation to another well is it or is it not i feel like i'm playing the hokey pokey when it comes to the fernando alonso crash in barcelona did he or didn't he? This is in, this is out, this is in, this is out. What? He even had a press conference this past week to explain the crash, and I'm still more confused than I was the day the crash happened. Well, let's review what we thought we knew. Best way to put it. Okay. What we thought we what, knew. What did we think we okay. knew? Okay. So McLaren has told us that there was nothing wrong with the car. Correct. McLaren initially told us that it was – a freak gust of wind. Yes. McLaren has told us that Fernando was okay. Right, no, without a concussion. Right. Yes. Then we were told that he had a concussion. Yes. Then we were told by Ron Dennis that he didn't have a concussion. Right. Then we were told that he was conscious the whole time. 
Wait a minute. Where did memory loss come into this? Well, that was after we were told he lost consciousness. Okay. We were told, yeah, he, he lost some memory. Um, and then Ron Dennis telling us that none of that happened. So now, Is f- it possible that Ron Dennis lost his memory? Well, there's people who question whether or not he has grips on reality. Almost, or at least if his grip on reality is almost as strong as Bernie's grip on reality. Oh, Bernie has a unique relationship with reality. Yes. However, Fernando has now come forward because he's And he's going to straighten everything out, right? Yes, he's going to go use the Ron Dennis School of Clarification. Clear as mud. Yeah. So, basically... Fernando said that uh, I crashed because the steering was heavy, but I was conscious for the impact. I downshifted. I turned everything off. I remember the whole crash. I remember kissing the wall, and when I lost conscious and had the memory loss, that was because of the drugs that the doctors gave me to prepare me for transport, and that's completely normal. Okay, but... Didn't his teammate Jensen say there was nothing wrong with the steering? Yeah, that's the other thing. Jensen's come forward and says there's nothing wrong with the steering. McLaren still comes out and said that there were no problems with the car, to which Fernando has said, yes, but they're adding sensors now because there were no sensors to check the stuff before. And we're going to close the gate after the cows have left. Yeah. Now, did you know, in the (laughs) ever-present concept of did you know, Lewis Hamilton— Former McLaren driver, mm-hmm. um, in the driver's debri- the briefing ahead of the Malaysian Grand Prix, mm-hmm. he stood up and insisted, and there were a couple of reports that he was pretty adamantly insisting, that all of the details of Fernando's crash needed to be released to the drivers because of the potential of hazard on the uh, in a way, I could see that. In another way, again, let, let's go back to if there was something that was in these findings that said that there was a danger, the FIA doesn't play with, with safety. They would have put it out. They would have come. They would have released a statement. The FIA got all the data. The FIA has made a decision not to take any action. So beyond that, yeah, this is just nobody getting on message. Of course, we don't know what that message is supposed to be, (laughs) but nobody's on message. You know, as they talked about it on the BBC broadcast, it's almost like they're speaking different languages. Yeah. Well, I mean, after all, remember, Fernando's first language is not English. True. It is possible that words like conscious and concussion and, you know, heavy steering are completely different in Spanish. No, I doubt that. Damn it. I tried. Ron, I tried. I mean, he he has been racing in Formula One for a lot of years. Okay, but he spoke Italian for the last few years. Not exclusively. I'm giving options here. Work with me. (laughs) Yeah. So, obviously, this is a story that's just not going to die anytime soon. No. It's going to be like the Lamb Chuck song. This is the story that never ends. <laughs> and I thought it was going to this weekend, and then Fernando came out and opened his mouth. 
Yeah. You know, a lot of folks are turning around and are tagging this or or, or, or categorizing this as just Fernando and his inability to get along with his teams and not stay within message and that the team wants to have and that this is probably the first signs of cracks appearing in Fernando's relationship with McLaren that everybody thought was going to happen anyway. I don't know if it's quite that severe yet, but who knows? They're awfully early days to be cracks in the armor already. Well, you know, considering we get one race in and everybody predicts it's the doom of F1. I know, but I don't think they're right. So, can we move away from the Alonzo story, since there's actually no real information? No, there isn't. You know, I was kind of surprised that this went the way it did. I was disappointed. I really thought that Seb was going to go and really have some fun with this. You know, we talked last week about... The, the back and forth between Seb and Nico regarding coming to the debrief and Nico securing the invitation. And Told Seb, him to bring his no- notebook and everything. And Seb turned it down. I think it would have been hysterical if Seb went there, notebook in hand, GoPro camera strapped to his chest, <laughs> another one on his head, and an Ederall audio recorder and went, I'm here, let's go. <laughs> How awesome would that have been? It would have been pretty awesome. <laughs> it would have definitely been pretty awesome. Um, it would only have been better if, you know, Seb had a different, had a better result the following week. You know. You mean the previous week? No, if right after the debrief, all of a sudden Seb's car ah. magically works and is fantastic. Well, we wouldn't have known because he didn't go. Right. He dismissed the whole thing as a publicity stunt, which in a way it was. Yeah. But is it any different than when all the teams in, what was it, 2013 sent him donuts <laughs> after his last two races and well, big donuts at that? Well, yeah, but he was doing donuts on the, the field. Didn't he get fined for those? He got fined multiple times. The first time, the team gladly paid it. The second time, they said, no, that's, this one's on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enough with that now. Yeah. Uh, see, speaking of enough with that, looks like the FIA has heard the cries of the crowd and said, yep, you can all have one extra engine. Well, I don't know if it was the cries of the crowd or cries of the team, but they realized that while, yes, you're driving for more reliability and stuff like that, the problem is the teams get afraid to run their engines when they have so few. So folks are going to the stands expecting to see cars running, and there are none. Right. And that doesn't work really well, and especially when you run into the problem with Germany and what happened there, which, by the way, I had some interesting insights I came across as to – why Australia has been so successful, Silverstone is picking up, but Germany is struggling. And why Why is that insight? Well, it's the difference between the, okay, this is an F1 race, pay your money for an F1 race, and three days, that's all you're going to see is the F1 cars, and there's nothing else really going on except for maybe a GP2 race. Okay. That's what a lot of these European tracks are doing, and some of that is because that's the contract agreement they have with Bernie. 
Australia, on the other hand, has a slightly different contract. And the reason why their contract is different was because, as they put it, we asked. What they have done is they have realized that in order to attract the fans and keep the fans, it can't just be about the F1 cars. That can't be all that's going on. It is an entire event. There are things going on throughout the entire three days of the race. It's not just the Formula One cars and GP2 that's going. They're bringing one of their big events, their most popular events, and I don't remember which day they do it on. Um, It's actually a three-way showdown featuring a standard road car, a V8 supercar because they're very popular in Australia, and a previous generation F1 car on the track, which, by the way, David Cothard drives that car. Oh, wow. That's a really cool deal. But it's the three of them. And there's almost always stuff going on either on the track itself or in the the environment of Albert Park and the area that you have access to with your ticket. So their feeling there is that unless you really are really trying from the time the gate – from 30 minutes after the gates open until they close, there is something to do. Oh, wow. At least multiple things to do. And they view that as bringing value to it as opposed to, okay, there's nobody on track. There's nothing else going on. Silverstone's realizing it and with with the changes to make this more of a festival. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these other tracks aren't doing it because it's not in their contract to let them do it. You know, one of the things that bugs me about Bernie (sighs) – the bad hair bernies. A lot of things of Bernie of the bad hair Bernies. Um, but one of them that really bugs me is his unique contracts with every party. It's like we start with a clean sheet of paper every time he sits down with a contract to make with somebody, and everybody's got a special deal. Everybody seems to have something different in their deal with him. And the problem is when you do that, I think it – creates an atmosphere of strife from Mm -hmm. the very beginning because it's always perceived whether it's reality or not that the person next to you got a better deal because their deal is different yep and if you were on a track that didn't think ahead enough to ask to have a festival type atmosphere or isn't going back to bernie and going hey you didn't allow this but look how successful it is for australia we need to renegotiate now then you're missing out on a huge portion of these things. But instead, people, you know, they clench their fists and they get all angry because Bernie's got special deals with these people and special deals with other people. So, you know, it goes on and on and on. You know, I, Eddie Jordan described it as Bernie will always find a way to extract money from everybody he's dealing with. Of course. You know, he's a businessman, and that's what he does. When it comes to the European tracks and him not embracing this festival concept, I think it's a matter of they didn't have to before. They didn't have to worry about it. They didn't have to think about it. And now that they're struggling, it's becoming an issue, and they're not quite realizing what they need to do to change. And then you're you're faced with, okay, it's going to cost me more money to bring in these other pieces on top of Bernie and his escalating event hosting costs. And how do you balance that out? And and is the return from one going to be enough to offset the cost of the other? It's hard math. It is really hard math. But while we're talking about Bernie, Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to jump our order just a minute because we're going to finish up and talk about finish talking about Bernie first. Bernie has declared that F1 is sick and that when you are sick, you should take it to take you go to the hospital and you get better. So he has a proposal for the hospitalization of F1. Okay. Remember that Bernie is old, possibly senile, and most certainly an evil genius of some type. Yeah. He wants there to be points offered in qualifying. He wants there to be a mixing up of the grid, which he puts the fastest cars in the back. You know, this I, I've heard this from somebody other than Bernie, and there's actually a logic to it. Although I don't know how you manage the qualifying. But it's that whole idea of if you're the fastest car – when that flag drops, you're not necessarily running away from the start. You've got to fight your way up there. And it's a valid concept. What stops the top teams from slowing down in qualifying? Well, well that's the problem is, is how do you balance that to make sure that nobody's deliberately handicapping their car so that they don't end up in the back? And how often are you going to end up with an issue where somebody who – would normally have walked away with the race instead because they're starting in the back and have to fight their way through a field, get involved in incidents that damage their car and take them out of a race. Or actually potentially hurt people. Yeah. Um, he wants double points for the last three rounds because we knew how well oh, that worked geez, in Abu Dhabi. That, that's not happening. At least one race a year would be designated a wet race. With the use of sprinklers to make the track wet. While another five, get this, this is is Bernie's proposal, would boost some other special feature. I'm thinking like mini bat night at the minor league team. (laughs) Yeah, some other special feature. Sometimes we'll put... Fernando in this slow car. Oh, wait. He already is in a slow car. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It will have to be a Chinese fire drill every time there's a pit stop. The driver has to get out, run around his car, get yeah. back in. This week, you have refueling. Next week, you only get three tires. The week <laughs> after. <laughs> now, don't be fooled that this these ideas will form some detailed proposal. It's the randomness of all of Bernie's words mm-hmm. that is truly amazing. Um, now, in years past, Bernie had an ally on the FIA side with Max Mosley. Mm-hmm. Max but is gone. Basically, Max rubber stamped anything Bernie wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I think there were naked pictures involved. Um, from what I've heard about Max Mosley, nobody needed to have secret naked pictures. They ended up in the mirror all on their own. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, However, as the new contracts have been signed and they're locked into these 2020 contracts, um, even Eccleston would love to tear those contracts up and start over because he's lost some of the power over the sport because now the teams vote on these rule changes. Mm -hmm. And the teams wield an awful lot of power for the rules themselves. And that's kind of chapping at Bernie. Not like the teams are any better at coming up with rules. No. No. Not at all. But you had said earlier that, you know, this we have one race in and they're predicting the end of F1. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, I mean, some of what Bernie is talking about is is one of the reasons. Well, you know, I think this is a, a decent time to 
roll out uh, what Eddie Jordan had to say about Bernie uh, this week with uh, Susie Perry. Sure thing, because he has in the press been, well, very strong about the Marussia Manor comeback. We haven't talked about them much today. We're hoping to catch Graham Loudon a little bit later on. They are back. They've been running this weekend. He said they shouldn't be here. He said it's an absolute disgrace and they should have been cut when they had the chance. Those are harsh words, aren't they? I mean, I don't understand sometimes, Bernie. He wants good cars on the grid. He's probably of the view that maybe uh, Manor is not good enough currently for the way they are. But look, who was to say? I, I remember my own situation in 91. It's no different to Manor. You've got to give people the chance. Give them the encouragement. That's not encouraging, that kind of mm. rhetoric, and I really don't like it. Well, I don't, did he like you when you, were, when you had I your no tea? idea. I didn't care whether he did or not. I'm not even sure you know, whether he likes me now or not. It well, doesn't matter. <laughs> no, but it does because he's been trying to get them out. He's always had a problem with Marussia. Why is well, that? Well, he loaned me lots of money in the past, so I suppose you'd have to do that with somebody that you'd have some respect for. Or he probably believed that maybe Jordan could do something, but then I don't know the answer to that. You'd better ask him. Well, was that because it, you you were a businessman and you, you were running it and that's an engineering team? Could that have come into it, do you I think? I think what he absolutely loves... He absolutely loves, beyond any doubt, that the team principal is the owner, that it's he who's calling the shots, it's he who's sitting in front of the bank manager and saying, listen, I know you don't cash promises in banks, but please, can you give me an extra mil here and an extra million there, mm -hmm. because I'm skint. Now, the thing is, the bank would always say no, and the next port of call would be Bernie. I said, listen, Bernie, I'm down to my last two bob here, can you please sort me out? And eventually, he would make you squirm, but he'd pay. But he's taken two million off Marussia for not running in, in Melbourne, so it's <laughs> not, not a great start, is Listen, it? he did that too to me. Listen, he will always find a way of extracting cash from somebody. He does it with every single team, every sponsor. He does it always. And I think that's why Bernie doesn't like Marussia right there. They have no sponsors. They have no sponsors. They have no cash. Yep. They're, they're a dry well to him. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a couple other Bernie comments okay. to marinate on. One is that he said, the trouble is, this is the trouble with F1, is that we've got an old house and we keep repairing it. It's not really the way to go. We just need to do a lot better. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I, uh, I got nothing. <laughs> I, it's Bernie. You, you know, there's not a whole lot you can say. He also goes on to say that if you were in my position, apart from leaving, what would you do? Fire him. I know. <laughs> uh, leaving. Be beyond that, yes, I, I agree. Renegotiate the contracts. Rethink the contracts with the venues. Rethink the contracts with the teams. And that can still be done in a way that brings money to CVC. It brings money to him. It brings money to the teams. But isn't structured in a manner that makes it hard for the teams in the venues to market F1. Well, see, I think that's where if, – if you ask the question, what what should I do? What would you do? I think that one of the things that needs to happen is put everything on the table. Put the contracts on the table. Renegotiate everything and level set some of this stuff. You know, there, there was a comment that was made. I think it was Andy Benson who made it last week and mentioned that Bernie views F1, and rightly so. He views F1 as this world-class product and as a result believes that he should and must charge world-class prices for access to F1. 
The problem is when you do that and you don't take in, into account the actual market that you're working with, you price things out of reality. I mean, it's kind of like what Ron Dennis is doing over with McLaren right now and why they don't have a title sponsor. It's because he wants something like 25 or 30% of their actual engineering budget to come from that title sponsor. And their engineering budget is so huge that any potential title sponsor looks at them and goes, yeah, to heck with you. <laughs> the last thing I want to comment about Bernie. Somebody bent Bernie's ear about world champions. Wasn't me. Wasn't you. And Bernie came out and he said that Lewis is a better world champion than Sebastian Vettel. Apparently he's mad at Seb. What did Seb do? Well, no. And it, it, I, I got to tell you this whole story because it's fascinating. And this is that part of the the genius part of the evil genius that is Bernie. <laughs> because the, the conversation was about past world champions. And they're asking, and Bernie goes on to explain that Lewis is a superstar. He takes what he does on the track and is not born to the red carpet and he's out there and he has a way you know his way an ambassador of the sport he markets himself and he markets himself and he markets himself well seb despite being a four-time world champion is um he's a recluse not, yeah he's, he's much not more up on reclusive. twitter he's very quiet he's very and because he's reserved and he didn't promote the sport so you have a four-time back-to-back world champion that's not out there pushing how awesome f1 is and i think for in bernie's mind that makes him a lesser human being you know i i could i could see bernie's opinion there that that piece that does make sense in terms of being a four-time world champion and because you're not out there i hesitate I hesitate to call it living large, but you're not getting out there and celebrating the fact that you're the four-time world champion in public. Yeah, it doesn't bring as much to the sport as somebody like Lewis does. So the final follow-up that this reporter did with Bernie said, well, what about Michael Schumacher in the days of him? Mm -hmm. You know, now we have a seven-time world champion. And... And... uh, Bernie goes on to say that Michael was very, is very much like Seb and more reclusive and not the superstar that Lewis was because in Bernie's opinion, Lewis is the all-time best world champion. Okay. He I'm, also went on to say that he believes that Lewis will win the title again this year. Yeah, well, you know, you don't really have to go out on a limb to make that prediction. <laughs> so... Did you want to talk, since we have heard from from uh, Eddie Jordan and, and his feelings about uh, Bernie and Manor Marusha, do we want to jump into Manor Marusha and their comments on this situation? Sure thing. Okay, well, uh, between sessions, actually it was during the rain delay at, at uh, qualifying yesterday. Actually, well, well, as we record this, it was earlier today. Time zones and all that stuff. Two days when you finally get to listen to it. Um, they got to uh, Susie Perry got to speak with uh, Graham Loudon, who is the still the team principal of Madame Marusha. Somehow managed to keep that job. Yes. Um, he had some interesting comments too. I got to say, he handled 
the questioning pretty well, given the situation. Uh, but uh, let's listen to what he had to say. And I've got to ask you, what do you make of the lack of support from Bernie Eccleston? Uh, well, you know, it's not his job to... He doesn't work for us. He, you know, he doesn't work for our team. He's been very clear about where you should be. Yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's got a company to run, and it's his job to run it, and it's our job to run ours to the best of our abilities. It's not his job to run our, to run our team. And, uh, you know, some people agree with... Um, with the strategy that he takes and, you know, and some don't you know, our, our view is we're in the championship, we get our heads down we crack on, we're a racing team, that's how, what we do How difficult has it been to get here? Oh, it's ma yeah, massively, massively difficult you know, it's, I think people underestimate this man will know how difficult it is <laughs> to run a team, um, it's not easy and, uh, you know, and as you say um, help has come from certain areas and, and not in other areas and the bottom line is it's up to us to, to push, you know, it's, we fight for our team. Every, anyone else in the pit lane would do the same for their team. So, you know, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're here to do. The challenge at the minute is much greater than your average normal weekend challenge. But, you know, it gets easier each week. But just very quickly, when you hear comments like we should have cut them when we had the chance and it's disgraceful that Marussia are here, how do you react to that? I don't think there's anything disgraceful at all about what our team has been doing. If he was, in fact, referring to our, um, to our team, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of good, honest, hard work. We know what the rules of the championship are and we get our heads down and get on with it, you know, and we follow all the, we follow all the rules and we do it in, in the correct steps, you know. We don't get dragged through courts and stuff like that. It's... Yeah. You know, this is, this is the right way to run a business. As Jon Stewart would say on The Daily Show, boom! <laughs> you scared our in-studio audience. I sure did. But, you know, that, that, that hit at the end that we run our business correctly. We don't go, get dragged through the courts. I mean, he had Monisha Keltenborn right in his sights there and just, boom, took that shot. Well, <laughs> keep in mind, Marusha had one more point than Sauber did last year. Well, there was that, too. And, you know, they didn't go and sign three drivers and think that, well, one of them was just going to walk away and they were going to come up with a settlement and you we were going to keep his money. You see, you missed it. You missed it. Part of the we're going to make F1 more exciting was the musical chairs of driving seats. Three drivers, two seats. When the music stops, somebody get in a seat. You know, as much as I like the off-track drama that goes on with F1, which is why we probably focus so much on that and less so much on the actual racing, expand, extending silly season into the courts I think might be the wrong direction. Well, I think it's a black eye to F1 in general. Yeah. Um, Beyond that, though, I got to say, you know, they, they put him on the spot. Yeah. He, um, Susie Perry and Eddie Jordan, they asked him some pretty – they did not pull any punches with those questions other than, the, well, how hard was it to get here? I mean, wow, you had to work really hard to come up with that question. But <laughs> Well, the fact that, you know, they had to put the car on a canoe and, yeah. <laughs> and row it out to Malaysia. Because yeah, Bernie refused to bring it. Or, yeah. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, as far as a Phoenix story – Marusha's really working very hard. I think that they need to change their their car design to have a phoenix rising on the the nose. They but, at least need to have some kind of logo for that team. They've got nothing. I know, but the the truth is, they really are starting to become the comeback kids mm -hmm. now. For the first time since I have been watching F one, 
in qualifying, because we did see the qualifier, we mm-hmm. haven't seen the race, in qualifying, Manor Marusha failed to meet the 107%. Yes. Only one of their cars got out during qualifying. Um, it was not Will Stevens' car. It was the other guy whose name seriously escapes me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just does. Um, but they failed to make the 107%. However, they had been within 107% during the practices. Yes. Both drivers, actually. Both drivers. So they were able to demonstrate to Charlie Whiting that they are capable of the speed and without being a hindrance on the track. Um, Will Stevens had a last-minute problem, and that's why he did not compete in qualifying. Yeah, he had a fuel flow issue that kept him out of qualifying. Right. Both of them got permission to run in the race. Good to hear. So, I mean, we went from they didn't bring the keys to Melbourne to they're both capable of running. They got the car started. Things are moving, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand Five weeks ago, they didn't have a car. Well, they didn't have a compliant car. They had a car. Yeah, but they didn't have a a car that could run. And they still sold off how much of their assets? Right. I mean, they had already gone through auction. They they were running on, you know, 30% of what they had as Marusha. It's not like they walked in and had all the bits and pieces that Marusha had. Yeah. And, you know, I'm – because you made me. um, I'm reading – um, what's his face's book? Jake Humphrey's Jake book. Jake Humphrey's book. Oh, come on. You're liking the book. I really actually am. Um, though I will say it's written the way he talks, which is a mile a minute and disjointed at best, which is quite, quite fun. But he goes into a really detailed explanation about if you are standing still or holding holding on, you're actually moving backwards in F1 right. because the – the rollout cycle is so tight, and it's a 24-hour development process, 24-hour-a-day development mm-hmm. process. So he goes through this whole thing and talking about one of the big teams about how, you know, in the winter season, they're developing. And even during the season, they could be changing one single part, and it's all through testing until it appears on the track. And so every time a car appears on the track, it's a prototype. It's never been tested. It's always new. It's always evolving. And when you put that description of what every other car on that track is doing and the fact that you know for a fact that Manor Marusha had a period of time where no advancement was happening, Mm -hmm. things were being removed from their development process. They had to get all new staff. All new staff. All of those things, all of those technical expertise that would be there had they been a team truly from last year to this year – and you realize just the sheer magnitude of being able to start that car three days ago mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, if they never raced, if they could never get it to the point of racing, the fact that they got a car started makes them a Phoenix story in my mind. Yeah. The fact that they put a car on a track for qualifying, that Phoenix is actually getting off the ground, and I honestly tell you that we're going to find out today in a race that they ran the car but they, they've got to get some sponsors they've got to get some money they will get sponsors as that story envelops them now what i will also say is they are getting far more press today than marusha got last year up, up until the up, poor jules bianchi well no i was gonna say actually up until about monaco right 
Because Monaco was really where they started talking to him at that point because they got points. They got a point. So, speaking yeah. of disappointments, so Renault has come forth in the ongoing Renault-Red Bull slap fight, which is just getting worse and not better. <laughs> um, <coughs> well, wait a minute. Christian Horner, <coughs> the bearded leader of Red Bull. Yes. Um, he came out this past week after last week when we all talked about how everybody should be equalizing the engines and the FIA's got, you know, and we were subjected to equalization and things like that. Um, this past week, Christian Horner has come out and gone, my bad, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean that. Yeah, that was basically came out and said, we were really frustrated and things didn't go as well as we thought. And yeah, equalization is probably a really stupid idea. Glad you recognized it. Welcome to the real world. Uh, welcome. I'm glad you caught up with the rest of the class. Thank you. As Gordon Ramsay would say, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Renault, however, has admitted that uh, they probably will not be providing a race-winning engine this year. Um, it's just there, there's – they're down somewhere in the area of about 100 horsepower. It does sound like the drivability issues are easing. They're not better, but they are easing. They're basically back to where they were at the start of testing now, as opposed to where they were in Melbourne, which was the end of last year. Well, hey. So, yeah, baby steps, I guess. Apparently there has been um, a lot of meetings between the two teams to try and figure things out and get things sorted that they are actually putting their heads down. Um, that being said, um, Red Bull Ma or, or Renault managing director Cyril Abitabul was a little upset over the comments from Adrian Newey because Adrian Newey came out and said that the only thing that's been holding that is holding the team back is the engine. Um, hmm. This didn't sit well with Cyril, um, who turned around and said, um, yes, it's difficult to have a partner who lies. When asked if Newey's comments were hard to hear, Adrian is a charming man and an engineer without parallel, but he spent his life criticizing engine partners. He's too old to change his ways. Ouch. Yeah. We need to work together to understand our issues, both within the power unit and the chassis. Our figures have shown that the lap time deficit between Red Bull and Mercedes in Melbourne was equally split between drivability issues, engine performance, and chassis performance. It's therefore the overall package that needs some help, and we have been working f with the team to move forward. In other words, no, you! <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? At, at this point, I'm thinking that come Barcelona... The two press releases from the team is going to be, no, you shut up. <laughs> no, you shut up. Yep. That's, that, I, I think that's what the press releases are going to be from the two teams. That's all it is. And they're all going to go, Bernie. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think they're going to go that far. It's just going to be, no, you shut up. Well, you know, and I'm wondering how this affects Renault's desire to turn Toro Rosso into a works team. Well, you know, there's there's a whole lot of questions going on there because – the, the talk is that Red Bull gets the credit when they win the championship and Renault isn't on the car, which they are on the car, but they're not the title sponsor. That's Infinity, which is part of the whole group. Mm -hmm. 
so Renault's feeling is they're not getting the full marketing potential, and they're right about that. But on the other hand, it was Infinity's part of the, the Renault-Nissan group, mm-hmm. and it was Renault's decision to let Infinity be on there. Interesting. Even though they're running Ren- Renault engines. But Renault is also turning around and saying that, well, you know, once again, we need to look at all the costs, and we may just decide that it's not beneficial to us and completely pull out after, you know, they forced the series into this engine format along with Mercedes, mm-hmm. threatening to walk out if they did. And then they'll walk out anyway. Well, I don't think they're going to walk out. I think it's more likely that they will possibly take uh, Toro Rosso as a works team. But Red Bull will probably be upset because at that point they're not going to get their engines for free. Right. Which will make it even more fun. Yeah. Alrighty. So we in Malaysia now? Have we arrived Uh. in the heated sauna? Hey, did you hear, and there was video to go with it, did you hear that as part of Nico Rosberg's preparation for Malaysia, he ran up... An enti- the one of the towers, yeah, the steps of towers. I saw the the photo of him getting to the top, all hot and sweaty. What what I think was more impressive, and, and they didn't show this in the pictures, but behind him, about just out of frame, was his five month pregnant wife Victoria with the whip going, "I'm gonna get you, you son." <laughs> Actually, you laugh. But Nico is probably worried about his wife, Victoria, Vivian. Who is oh, Vivian. I'm sorry. That's right. It was Vivian. Um, Vivian is suffering from an extreme form of morning sickness, the same morning sickness that uh, Kate Middleton. Oh, um, okay. Th- there's a fancy name for it, and I can't pronounce it because we know I can't pronounce fancy words. But, but she's got all these great doctors in Monaco that I'm sure. I'm sure, sure she's being well taken fine. care of and all of that. But this is that type of morning sickness where future moms l- are losing weight when they shouldn't be losing mm. weight. And just like uh, Princess Kate cannot afford to lose any weight or she mm. will be invisible, um, Vivian is not exactly um, a woman that has extra meat on her bones. True. All right. Well, so we've gotten to Malaysia. And once again, stupid rules strike. Stupid rules? Lewis, because this is one of three races that Lewis likes to call a home Grand Prix because title sponsor for Mercedes is Petronas, which is a Malaysian company. Well, to celebrate that, he would have had a special helmet. It's been made. It's ready. There's pictures of it. He can't wear it. Yes. It had to be left in the uh, pits. Yeah. Because the only rule change that the FIA could agree on was a single helmet for the entire year. You know what would have been really funny is if when he arrived at the race in whatever support vehicle takes him from the hotel over to the race, that was he was wearing that helmet, wore it into the paddock. And... <laughs> changed his helmet like Mr. Yeah. Rogers changed his sweater? Yeah. Kind of. Speaking of that, real quick, just to to loop back to a discussion, we talked about Australia. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they have done in Australia is they have worked to 
maximize um, almost force engagement between the drivers and the fans. Mm. The way it's laid out to get from the parking lot to the paddock, you go through what is essentially a corral that the fans have access to. Uh-huh. So as the drivers and the team personnel are arriving, they are walking through this. And, yeah, it's a fenced-in corral, but all the fans who have general admission tickets have access to it to take pictures and get autographs and interact with the drivers and the teams as they go by. Oh, that's It was cool. something they deliberately built into the facility. Well, I mean – some of the other trucks are starting to come up with these different things. Silverstone even came out this week, and um, the managing director said that the governments must start underwriting some of the costs at stage, of staging these Grand Prix because they're, the people are drifting to the Far East and the Arabian Gulf because those races are less expensive. And I don't think the governments will. I think their response is going to be stop charging so much. There's no reason for the cost to be this high, and that's why these venues can't afford to host it. And they'd rather give give up the event than to subsidize it and, and pay Bernie's ransoms. Well, that's why we need to renegotiate those contracts. <clears throat> Go ahead. Other randomly silly things that got said this past week. Mm-hmm. Honda. You know Honda. They're the engine supplier for McLaren. Known notoriously for being such a great experience. You mean a Honda who, at least locally here in Ohio, are running these commercials that are touting all of their technologies, from the robotics to the jets to the Indy cars to the dirt bikes to the generators to the... But not their F1 car? Yeah, the F1 car is is shockingly absent. (laughs) Yeah. Honda has stated that they don't believe that their bid for an F1 championship would be enhanced by having a second car running their en- a second team running their engine on the track. Let See, that now, soak in for a minute. Now that's just delusional. I think they go into the Ron Dennis school of uh Well, you know, you know who they could, if they were willing to play along since Red Bull is talking that if um Renault pulls out. They don't have an engine supplier, and they would just have to leave. You know, McLaren could be – or uh, Honda could be looking for partners. But they're not looking for partners because their bid they're, won't be enhanced. They're, they're full of it. They're full of it. They've, they've got to know at this point that the more engines they have running, especially when you only got 27 laps in, the more engines they can get out there, the better a chance they have of figuring this thing out. Well, they got 48 laps in last week, uh, last race, didn't they? Yeah. All right. Which, by the way, Alonzo says that the car exceeded his expectations, which I assume means that it started up and he completed a practice session without anything blowing up. Best I can come up with. Well, he didn't wind up in the wall. <clears throat> well, there was that too. Oh, I checked this morning. I checked. Has Maldonado crashed today? Still says nope. Yes, that that has got to be one of our new favorite sites there. The website has MaldonadoCrashToday.com. So, yes, I guess the world is safe for another day. <laughs> for Maldonado one more day. All right, you were talking about the extreme heat that is in Malaysia. Yeah, it's pretty th- – this is one of those things that 
Honda's got to figure something out. They had the engine turned down to something like 30% power from Melbourne, where it wasn't that hot, to come here to Malaysia, which is one of the most difficult circuits in terms of heat, of cooling, and they haven't figured out these heat problems. That doesn't sound very good. No, it doesn't. Um, do you know how Nico is uh, handling the heat? I heard about this. I, I wasn't sure he really was wise to disclose it. <laughs> It's one of those things that I'm not sure you want to admit, but if it works for you. Well, it's not like it's used. Thank God. <laughs> Apparently, Nico Rosberg has revealed that he wears a women's sanitary napkin inside his crash helmet to absorb sweat. I'm not sure it's just one. I don't know. Maybe it has wings. When he takes his... No, no, that that would be Red Bull. <laughs> I was going to ask if when he takes his helmet, helmet off, if he ever has that not-so-fresh feeling. I'm quite sure. <laughs> well, you know, with the heat and the weather of Malaysia being in the tropics, the FIA and Formula One management had this great idea because the rains tend to hit. It is prone to some, as Jensen put it a few years ago, Malaysia is prone to some real rain. Real rain, <laughs> yeah. not that fake stuff they get in other places. Yeah, some real rain. So, and and they tend to come right around the time that the race was normally scheduled to start, and delays the race, and it runs them into damage of the sun coming down and the event going too long, and they're becoming unsafe to drive. So, thinking to try and avoid this this year, the FIA and F one changed the start time to an hour earlier. For the race. For the race only. They did not do this for qualifying. And guess what happened? It rained in Q2. Pretty severely. Thunder, lightning. It was some really dramatic pictures of lightning. We also, we got treated to some um, slow motion video from the FIA of the back bumper of the safety car as it went around the corner. No, my favorite was the really fat guy under the umbrella that apparently, was running across the pit lane. In slow motion, but apparently there were two guys there. Yeah, you couldn't see the other guy because he was One, in, one umbrella. <laughs> two men. Slow motion one. guy running through the rain. He was from Mercedes, by the way. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, Toro Rosso produced a cartoon... Um, I'll show it to you as to Which how... helps all of everyone listen. Well, it's a visual and... Sorry, we'll... Phil. This is her fault, you know. Um, of how Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz <laughs> were keeping cool nice. in the uh, in the heat. It is a Toro Rosso car with Max Verstappen sitting in it with being filled with ice. You'll need to post that somewhere. Sure. So that people can see that. Because it's, it's definitely worth sharing. Put it up on Facebook. Put it on the webpage. But people need to see that one. Um, it was Because of the rainstorm running through there, limited running in Q3, and everybody was out of order on this one. Well, it was limiting, limited running in Q2. They rushed out to get out in Q2. Right. One one or two hot laps, and that was it. And then in Q3... It was... Everybody was juggling, trying to determine tires and speed, and folks got caught out pretty bad. Yep. 
So uh, Q2 well, was probably the worst because it was one time lap was all anybody got. Everybody ran to get out there at once to the point that Grosjean kind of goofed. Well, he jumped. He, he, he cut in line and yeah. he got slapped for it. So he, he uh, was awarded a two uh, space penalty on the grid. Yeah. Uh, we should mention McLaren. Both drivers did make it out of Q1. Yeah, we got some comments from uh, Fernando, Fernando on that. How difficult was that qualifying session for you? Well, it was not too difficult or unexpected, let's say. We knew that uh, we were struggling at the moment with the pace. Anyway, the progress that the car made has been uh, uh, fantastic after uh, Australia, so we are much closer now. And uh, I don't think that I will be talking to you after Q1 uh, for long, I think. Yes, thank you. Not difficult. I, I, I don't know how you come to that conclusion that it wasn't unless your expectations were that you weren't going to do anything. No, no, no. It wasn't difficult. He didn't have to do much. You didn't have to compete with anybody. <laughs> it was, yeah, we're there. However, you, and, and he's right about this. They made some significant, as much as they're still in the back, they made some significant progress. The estimates are that they have picked up almost two seconds a lap. And considering they were down four seconds and one second is a lifetime, to pick up two is huge. Yeah. Now, it's still a ways to go before they're nipping at the heels of anybody who matters. But at least this is some level of positive. It's, it's growth, definite growth. Um, okay, so Q2, everybody got basically one hot lap before the rains came in, and they all went back into the pits. Q3, the rains had stopped. They delayed Q3. Rains had stopped for a little bit, juggling whether it should be full wets or intermediates, possibility of going out on slicks. Um, no, I don't think slicks was ever a possibility. It was, well, it was Eddie, gonna Eddie be... mentioned that there was a possibility. He wouldn't be surprised <clears throat> if somebody was going to be out there on slicks. Of note, of course... Lewis was on pole. There is talk that Lewis, uh, that Nico slowed Lewis down by holding a racing line on a not on not on a hot lap. He possibly did. Um, but Lewis had already secured pole, so there was that. Um, P two, not Rosberg. It was actually Vettel. In the Ferrari. Yeah, that could be kind of interesting. So it looks like Ferrari has really stepped it up. Now, of course, it does stand, you know, we're still waiting to see if they can keep race pace during a race. But the fact that they got it on the second row, I think the highest Fernando last year had placed it was like P5 or P6. Yeah, it was five was his average qualifying position. But here's the thing. Um... Alan McNish did a side-by-side comparison between uh, Lewis's fastest, one of the Mercedes' fastest laps, and I think it was Raikkonen's fastest lap. And it was Lewis, Lewis and, and, and Kimmy's two fastest laps in practice two or practice three. Um, side-by-side comparison. And through sectors one and two, they were neck and neck. I mean, less than half a second, if even that much. It wasn't until they got to sector three that Lewis pulled ahead, and Lewis pulled ahead in basically one turn. Is At that point was when he was off to the races. Now, we don't know what fuel loads were between the two. They were on like tires. However, that could show that Ferrari has figured something out. 
it looks significantly like Ferrari has figured something out. Um, now, on the second row, we had Nico. Mm -hmm. So he is P3, starting on the clean side of the track. Um, and then we start going down the grid from there. Uh, Kimi was P4. No, Kimi did not make it into Q3. He got tied up in the timing. Was he? Yes. As you, as you recall, remember we had that, that one-time lap and the scrum to get out. Kimmy ended up getting bunched up in traffic before the final turn. Lewis popped out around him. Carlos Saints popped out around him. And a couple of other folks popped up around him. And Kimmy lost position and actually ended up outside of the top 10. Kimmy did not run. I'm sorry. It was Ricardo. I I screwed up. Yes. You, you spaced a little bit. That's I fine. Spaced. It was Ricardo and Kvyat, the two Red Bulls that were four and five. With Max Verstappen in P6, that is the highest qualifying position for a teenager mm -hmm. in Formula One history. Yeah. Um, and rounding out the rest of the top 10, Massa, Grosjean, Botas, and Ericsson. Um, it did put a Sauber in the top 10. Yep. Um, I'm a little disappointed at Williams being so far down the grid. Um, Botas is still having back trouble, by the way. Oh, is he? Yeah, he says he is still hurting. It's not as bad. He has done a lot to try to get better, but he is not, um, he's not well at this point. I have a feeling that uh, his season may be a little short. I'm a little concerned. Now, on a side note, because we know that their test driver is Susie Wolf and probably the most likely woman right now to get a spot in an actual mm -hmm. Formula One race. Um, Susie has poo-pooed a proposal for a women's Formula One series. Okay, that sounds like a really stupid idea to have that. I a, it's a stupid idea, and I have think it would go against— Have them compete side by side and move on. Well, and I think that that goes against everything that Susie stands for, because I think yeah. Susie really pushes for, we are all racing drivers, we should compete. She, it's not like tennis. She, <laughs> she came up in all these other series, so why not? Yeah. Right. Um— now, before we end our portion of the show, mm -hmm. um, we need to talk about the press conference after qualifying. Was this during James Allen's press conference or, or something over in the pen? Um, this is during the, I think it's during the sit-down press conference that happens okay. afterwards. Um, they opened up the questions to the floor. Mm -hmm. And, okay, our top three qualifiers, yep. uh, Hamilton, Vettel, and Rosberg. And I looked everywhere for actual audio of this, so you're going to have to deal with the fact that I have to read you what happened. <laughs> they open up questions to the floor. Nico Rosberg, Mercedes-AMG Patronus. He started imitating a journalist. There are a lot of comments on Twitter saying Nico blocked you. This is to Hamilton. Is it true that he blocked you on your second timed lap? Wait, this is Nico asking Lewis this? Nico asking Lewis this. Wow, you know, Vettel goes and engages Nico at a press conference and all the rules go right out the window. Oh, yeah. Hamilton replied smiling. I think you should probably ask him. I think he'll have a good opinion on that. <laughs> The room laughed, but Rosberg appeared annoyed. He shook his head twice and said, that's not funny. 
Rosberg, going slowly, appeared to stay on a racing line as Hamilton was on a flying lap in the final qualifying session. And so the theory is that he really did slow him down. The German was then asked by an actual reporter if he indeed blocked Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And Nico's response was, you best ask Lewis about that. No, it's not even relevant discussion because we were both on slowdown laps at that point in time. It was very, very clear. Informed that Hamilton had set a personal best in the first sector, Rosberg said, yeah, but if you bail out of a lap, it turns into a slowdown lap, doesn't it? He's kind of right there. It was suggested to Rosberg that Hamilton slowed down because he came up on the back of Rosberg. Well, the the thing is, and first off, blue, the blue flag rule exists. That that's that they wave the blue flag because someone is is going a faster car is overtaking, so that the slower car gets out of the way and knows that someone's coming. I don't recall that there were any blue flags out as Lewis came up. Number two is that, actually, I should do it the way Eddie did it yesterday of number one and then B. But but number two is that if it was truly blocking, and we've seen this happen many times in the past, it happens at Barcelona quite a bit. If there was an actual incident of blocking, penalties are usually handed out pretty dang quickly after the end of the race. There were no penalties handed out. So the marshals, at least, didn't see this as a clear case of blocking. Doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't. I mean, yeah, it is possible that Lewis had been planning on making it a hot lap and only bailed out because he realized it wasn't worth trying to fight its way through. But on the other hand, it kind of makes you wonder how big is that fight going to be to get out first in Monaco so that if one of them sets the fastest time, the other can bail out and screw up the lap just like Nico did last year. Well, I think that we aren't even into race number two, and we've already got the the rivalry and the picking is going on between the two of them. Unfortunately, I have a feeling that it's Rosberg battling with himself. Yeah. Because as the press conference continues and – he gets asked a different question on another subject and Rosberg chooses not to let the matter drop. And he remarks, how do we make that a fact talking about that? He, he slowed down the lap that he bailed out before he came across me. That's the idea is Mm -hmm. that Lewis had already bailed and that's why he didn't have to slow down or get out of the way. That is the interesting one because me just saying it isn't going to bear much weight. So we need to think of one, which I don't have an answer for to make that a fact to you. So I will have to think about something later on. Or you can ask Toto, who is coming. That may be a good one. That will bear some more weight. So Mm. even Rosberg realizes that the press doesn't believe him. But, yeah, I think you're right. He is battling himself at this point because the stronger Lewis is, you know, the better Lewis does in the race – and, and in qualifying, and those, the more he lights up those timing sheets, the more pressure it puts not on Lewis, but on Nico. Right, right. And it's always harder to come from behind. Um, so, like I said, I just think that this rivalry is going to start heating up more and more and more. Yeah. That's what I have. All right. Well, you know, we have a last thing this week. One more thing? 
Yes, we have one more thing. This may be a regular segment. We don't know yet. But uh, for that, we need to bring in David so that he can explain this part. Okay, so David is here with his segment that he's calling The League of Super Evil. So what is The League of Super Evil? The League of Super Evil is a group of teams or drivers or whatever that feel like did something evil or something bad for the sport. Okay, so with that, let's bring in the League of Super Evil. <laughs> For this week's League of Super Evil, it's just going to be an engine, and that engine is going to be the Renault engine, because if they're thinking about quitting, but if they quit, that means Red Bull won't have an engine to run on, causing Red Bull to um, quit, too. All right, so it's not just the engine, then. It is Renault as an engine constructor. You got it right. You got the nail on the head. All right. And that'll do it for this week's show. Uh, remember, uh, find us over on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We've got none. We need a few of those. Um, the web check us out over at the website at www.theblokeandabird.com. Uh, we've got some new items over in the Bloke and the Bird test lab, including we just received the brand new, not even available to the general public, uh, garage door controller from the folks over at Quirky called Ascend. It's an interesting product that uh, we're playing with. Uh, hopefully, we will have a review in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got the Amazon. Fire HD6 also that we're playing with, and a few other products. So uh, in a few weeks, we should have some reviews on those, uh, but uh, leave us a comment on the show. Hopefully soon, we will finally get up on Spotify, and uh, keep an eye on us. Like us over on Facebook as well, but uh, until next week, I think we will call it a show. Music.